See, look yeah. at this. Fourth, Three. we get a countdown. One, one. Oh my God, we're on. Okay, yes. Okay. I mean, it'd be one thing if we were recording like live, but you're so used to recording live. So that's like the thing. I'm, I've never done anything live. I know. So I'm I, like, oh, cut it out. Cut it out. If you, if you say something asinine, just cut it out. Yeah, I just, I, I've always had to be prepared for the live podcasts, all the ones that I've done because, and I get there and the minute before they start, I just sit there and take some deep breaths because I feel totally, even if I've prepared, I'm totally unprepared. And then it's like, uh, then it goes on and I start talking and I, you know, I go, I go wherever I go, but it's, uh, but it is, but this is a pre-recorded, so we can cut this out, but it still feels the same to me. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, because you're conditioned that way. And I think that it's like, it's nice because, you know, I think you've given yourself these great constraints, unlike me, who, you know, it's like, I can take, I can try to say, hi, this is Nicole Helen. And, oh, wait, wait, no, hi, this is, this is Nicole. <laughs> hi. No, one more time. Yes. I'm going to redo that now. Right. This is Nicole Helen. And right. <laughs> no, right. I don't like that. You know, and then I've got, you know, three hours later. I, you know what? Not today. Not today. Oh, my <laughs> What's God. What's my name again? Oh, my God. If I did that, <laughs> yeah, I would be forever. It was true. And you know what I find? What's challenging now before we get started today, as if we haven't yeah. started today, yeah. is that um, is going from and I, I said this to you in one little thing I wrote, but Going from being a solo podcaster for years to doing a co-host podcast yeah. is a real major challenge for me. Cause it, and it's a dialectical challenge because how do I preserve what I think or what I find personally valuable about what I do, which has always been in the context of solo? Uh, maybe I'm interviewing somebody, but I'm still in charge. And then to shift over to a co-host, how do I preserve what's what I find valuable and also have you be preserving what's valuable about you and have us form a, a joint well, thing. A question. I mean, and this is so much about the, the work that I've been doing this week. Um, it's all about, you know, coming into the emerging future and, and really like, what does it mean to co-create an emerging future? And it's really systems work. Um, and, and looking at like, you know, what happens when you are, wh whatever it is, even if it's not a problem, how are we not getting fundamentalist about the moment we're in, whatever that looks like, mm. and opening up being, you know, and we look at these paradigms of the open mind, the open heart and the open will. And that was kind of the framework that we looked at, but really being in a space of non-judgment, letting yourself be affected, letting yourself be touched and, and and you know kind of working from kindness and then the courage to surrender into a space of the unknown and i think that that's kind of apropos because it's like all right well what if we don't preserve like what if there's something new that neither of us know maybe i have my ideas about what it means to to work and co-host and support you and all of that and to bring mm. in a different perspective maybe you're like well I want to I want to do what's been successful but maybe part of what this can be or the opportunity is like it's like oh well, well maybe you know this the future is collab maybe it's more about collaboration maybe mm. it's less about maybe it's like how can we let go of our individual agendas maybe I don't know but like mm. and then and see what this you know this genesis of two 
two minds with different perspectives, with different approaches, like what is that third thing that arises? And, mm. and because if we're trying, if we're both kind of like, well, this is what it's supposed to be. And we're both kind of like holding mm. on. That's what a lot of what we kind of played with this week. It's Interesting. like, you know, that's that, that, that's what prevents us from actually seeing what's What's that's possible. really that's really interesting. You know what you, you remind me of when you say this is uh, a time when I was about twenty and I left college, and uh, because I didn't know what I was doing or where mm-hmm. it was going, so I left. And during nine months of the following year, I lived in Boston, in Dorchester, with a an African American family that whose mm-hmm. that I got on a poster on a bulletin board because I was mm-hmm. going to be working near there, and. This family was up from the south, and there were eight kids in the house, and the mom, and the dad came and went. And the, they, they ate in a way that was so totally different than how I ate. So mm-hmm. I came in with my little well-controlled yogurt that I like <laughs> to make my own, my yeah. granola that I like mm-hmm. to make my own, my brown rice, and my various other weird things from their mm-hmm. point of view. They felt so sorry for me. And they had all this great food, you know, pork yep. of different kinds yep. and uh, collard greens and sweet potato pie and all this great stuff. And I'm sitting there with my and so I carved out my little area of the refrigerator and it made all of them so sad they could barely stand it. You know, it's like <laughs> and, and then over about if you tuned in three months later, I'm eating collard greens, sweet potato pie, their fried chicken and uh, mm-hmm. and every every once in a while a pig roast and and it's like i'm eating this stuff and really liking yeah. it i've gained a few pounds and yeah. uh i just feel like oh it was it we a new entity form because i also affected them so i know what you're talking have about some brown rice in there and put a little brown rice in with the collard yogurt. greens <laughs> right. right right how about brown rice and sweet potato pie that no it's delicious. but um yeah so this idea is in is is a good correction for me because I'm highly soloist in the way I write, the way I think, the way I teach, and uh, but you're not. how I've been. I mean, that's so funny because I think you're talking about yourself that way. And when I think of you as a, I mean, yes, you're writing, you've written this amazing book, which I, you know, I'm a huge fan of. And, and, but you're teaching, at least from what I've seen of it, and, and even the way you write, and even your podcast as you've done it you're always collaborating with other people, with other thinkers, whether it's, you know, whether it's your best friend who's no longer physically here, but who's always kind of a part of your, your kind of dialogue, whether it's Marshall Linehan, whether, you know, it's your patience and experiences you've had. I think that, you know, part of being dialectical is inherently being part of a system, being impacted, it's being connected. And I think you're so palpably aware of that that like the last thing I would ever think of you is someone that's mm. like highly so. When I think highly solo, I think someone that's, you know, that's not that can't be touched, or that's unreceptive mm. to influence. And when I think of like even the books we've exchanged and the conversations that we've had, you know, I think of you as someone that really likes to engage in a dialogue of ideas, and that that's to me true. is is again like thinking about open system versus closed system where it's like, no, 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 this is, this is the truth of how things are. And that's never, that's just never been my experience of you. So I just think it's very interesting. Um, I'm a hybrid. I'm a hybrid. You are a hybrid. I think that you are are an individualist. 
that's also a great co-creator and collaborator. Well, that's I like I, I like the positive spin on this because uh, it helps me. But and and I and I find it's interesting what you're saying. It helps me move forward and think to say, well, what is what are we going to create together, and not know, really not well, know, really don't fun? know. I think that's so fun, and I think the exper like the opportunity to experiment, and to let each other impact the other. And to let this third thing to kind of arise. I mean, I think if we're talking about being, to live in the dialectic, I mean, I think there's such a really interesting opportunity here for this, for this dialogue to, to really model that. Here's the, the German sirens. You can hear them. Yes. Nicole, if you don't know this, of course you don't know this. She's in Berlin right now in Germany. So, um, Wow, it's an international podcast with international. <laughs> the Polizei are there. Yeah. De, der really Polizei. <laughs> Look at you. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, well, I'll be in Germany in a couple months and I'm going to be speaking at a, I'm giving a lecture and I'm going to try to see how much of it I can give in German because that's, that's the language I used to. That's the only other language other than English that I ever learned. So I'll, I'll be working on it, you know. That's impressive. This All is, right. I mean, I've tried to pronounce some things here and it's gone. Pronunciation yeah, is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So look, here's, here's my idea. My idea. You know, listen to the, listen to me. Here's my idea of uh, what we're going to talk about today <laughs> and what, where I'm going to start us out and what kind of agenda I'm going to set. And then we'll see where mm -hmm. the, where the heck we end up. All right. But um, my idea is this. We throw around the term dialectics, and a lot of people in the DBT world throw around the word dialectics, and, and actually a lot of people have a good understanding of it, to, because Marshall Linehan laid it out so clearly, uh, what it means in psychotherapy, and other psychotherapies have also been dialectical, they just haven't used the term, and then it goes back to Marx and Engels, and then it goes back to the Greeks, and uh, it goes a long ways back, and so there's, so, but what I want to do uh, for just to, to sort of lay the ground for future conversations, I'd like to spell out what I think are the es the essence of being dialectical. So that and and then because I think we're going to be referring to it many times and trying to use it many times. And I and I it isn't like I'm like a philosopher who has the complete grip and I'm like the expert on dialectics. But I've but I've thought about it a lot and I've used it a lot. So I have a particular place that I come from about it. That's probably built within a clinical situation, but also trying to take it further than that in my interpersonal life. So I want to, I first want to spell out what I think are the steps and principles of dialectics. And then I, I've written a song about dialectics and I want to sing a song. Good. Good. So that that's coming. So that gives some of you the knowledge that you should stick around and some of the rest of you not the knowledge you should leave soon. Get out of here. Get out, get out fast. <laughs> I may start singing the song at any moment. Because um, I, I just wrote it this morning. So it's, uh, anyway, so, um, and then I want to, to the degree we can today and followed up mm -hmm. by next time. There's so much shit going on in the world, oh. uh, our, our world. I mean, just, just today was a compromise, sort of narrowly defined compromise bill about gun reform or gun, gun safety, gun mm -hmm. availability, etc. that I think if you follow carefully how that came about and how they came to this so-called compromise, um, that it is absolutely in the spirit 
of dialectics and and even in that the bill that is apparently going to pass um, is now going to be a new thesis and there's going to be immediately all kinds of disagreement about it. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's just a perfect example of how you can work hard to come to a synthesis of two opposing positions. And then whatever synthesis you come to will immediately give rise to opposition. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a new dialectic going on. So I want to, I want us to get to that. And, and also, of course, we also learn at the same goddamn moment that the Supreme Court has just decided and announced, and with Clarence Thomas's uh, opinion, mm-hmm. that uh, that it's possible in New York and 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 other yeah. states to for to have people going around and having uh, being able to carry guns without restrictions. Yeah, that was surprising. And which is really uh, like happening at the same moment as this narrowly defined bill, and at the same moment they come out with the abortion decision. <laughs> Which is which is not what we had really even pre-planned to talk about, but there there that is too. It's like another huge dialectic, a new, a, another synthesis of a certain kind of a of a massive opposition for the last three decades. So it's really quite an incredible moment, and it's probably just the beginning, given our Supreme Court, of of other things like this. So. I don't know. Yeah, There's and so I think much. it's worth acknowledging just the fact that it's coming out of the Supreme Court and and the you know, the politi- the politicization of the court at this moment in time and what and really what that's doing to the dialogue in our country at large. I mean, just that it's that it's really I think the nature of trust um, and, and how we all feel with regards to being able to trust our governing bodies. I think that's really under threat right now, democracy, you know, overall, but particularly the Supreme Court, which which to, you know, some extent was able to stay um, to stay separate uh, in terms of being a um, an arena of respect while while the rest of the government seemed to kind of get pulled down. And now that it's it seems to be just another another political um, just another political kind of fighting ground is, I think I is important. Um, it does. It feels about like what that means for dialectics. There's not a higher court of appeal that feels like you can no. appeal. I mean, this feels like very much part and parcel of the Republican yeah. government, the Republican within the government. And, yeah. and, and the three Trump Supreme Court justices really carried it this way. And at the same moment that we're having these investigations of our yeah. January 6th insurrection in which just yesterday was all about how Donald Trump tried to take over and corrupt the Justice Department in his behalf. So it's all of these so-called separate institutions are really in threat. So it's a, it's sort of it's a I think it's a huge I mean, it isn't always like this. There's always things going on. But it, this is these are sort of earth shattering things, I think. Um, and how we talk about these things while you know, really honoring that there are individuals that are not all lumped together in this seemingly enmeshed catastrophe. Yeah, and yeah. How to how to maintain that distance um, from from I think the real the real meaningful divisions of opinion um, and mm-hmm. and the people that you know because I, I think that we can we can kind of muddy the waters very easily when we look at this and just say okay well this is just a political nightmare, right. but. Um, 
you know, how do we how do we have these conversations and really hold space for all the parties? Similarly, I think like we did to the last conversation when we had where we where we just recognize, all right, we may not personally identify with all parties involved, but how can we honor and respect the humanity of all parties? And particularly when it's, you know, when we see a former president behaving so badly, mm -hmm. you know, what does it mean to to really see the problem as it is without demonizing um, one side or the other? I think that that's that's really tricky right here and right Very now. Tricky. And I think it's super important. So let me launch into this about the um, about a, a sort of a step by step consideration about dialectics. And now and so the first thing I would say about it is that when people talk about dialectics, whether they're talking about it in treatment or elsewhere, they're, they're really talking about several different things. So one thing is it's a, uh, a kind of a world point of view, a worldview of how change comes about, how one truth, one moment of truth evolves to the next moment of truth, to the next moment of truth, to the next moment of truth, every moment being different and every moment setting the stage for changes in the next moment. And how, so the first thing is that, and at the core, and, and then there are other things that I'll get to, but within that core, the core idea, which is familiar to most people who know about dialectics at all, is that there's this little formula, that there's a thesis. In other words, this, I'll put it this way, there's one truth, let's say truth number one. Truth number one. And then truth number one gives rise to truth number two, which might be absolutely in opposition of truth number one. So now you have a thesis and an antithesis or an antithesis. So now you've, got, now you've gotten to this step. So for instance, just this week, I was supervising a group of a, a, a DBT team. They presented a case. The case was like this. There was an absolute good example of this. Though once I started thinking about this, every single supervision and every single treatment I did this week, it was all about dialectics. Once you start to see it, it's like, oh my God, it's every, I'm, I just went and got something for lunch and I was caught up in a dialectical thing. I mean, most things that are dialectical, as I'll say later, just settle themselves. You don't need to pay a ton of attention. But mm -hmm. so here's one that wasn't settling itself. A family was going to go on vacation uh, up to the Catskill Mountains from New York and uh, for the summer for like three weeks or something. And they wanted the whole family to come. And their 18-year-old daughter didn't want to come. She wanted to stay home in their apartment and be there and see her friends. And they absolutely didn't want to go. And she was like putting her feet in the ground and saying, I'm not going. And they're saying, well, you have to go. Of course you're going because not only are we a family and we always go together, though this is the first time they've had a kid at that age, 18, mm -hmm. but also because you haven't been very safe the last few months. She had had a couple of incidents where she had gotten herself in trouble in a sexual relationship and also had been in a hospital briefly. And so they didn't feel comfortable leaving her home. So they were saying, oh, so maybe we should leave. Mom should stay home. No, mom's not staying. No, I need to be, I, I'm 18 years old. I'm independent now. So what you have is a thesis, thesis, truth number one, we're all going on vacation. Truth number two, no, no I'm no, not. I'm not. <laughs> no, we're not. I'm not. You, you guys go. You I'm, guys have a great time. I'm you not guys, going. Exactly. I, I wouldn't be caught dead again in the Catskills. Uh -huh. So it's sort of like 
Yeah, so you've got that. And then the where you go from there, that isn't yet what I'd call dialectics. Because dialectics requires another step. Where do you go from there? And I was thinking about it. I think there's about five different directions you can go from there. Mm -hmm. Once you get this sort of uh, standoff between two opposing positions, number one, you can just remain in a standoff in many situations. Like, for instance, the gun control mm -hmm. debate has been in more or less a standoff for about 30 years, actually. And so has the abortion debate, you might say. There, it's just... There, some of these things are, and in some relationships, things become a stalemate, a standoff. Nothing yep. much is happening. They, they don't get they don't get worse or more extreme. They don't get closer. They don't resolve anything. And a lot of people live out their lives that way, right? right. I mean, it's sad but true. Um, so that's uh, option number one. You can just stay there in a stalemate. Option number two, you could move to extremes. So option number two is the. The, the girl could run away from home mm -hmm. or the family could kidnap her and take her to the Catskills uh, in some way, shape or form. Or they could severely threaten her and they could be having knocked down, drag out fights about it now. And then both. So they both start out in opposition to each other. But now the opposition spread further to extremes. Now you're stuck with extremes, which are hard to ignore. Usually something has to happen there. Option number three. You can't sustain the extremes. You can't sustain the extremes. Got it. And I, I do think that what happened with the, with the gun control debate after the killings of all these children was it put it over the edge. And you could know there, that's complicated because it brought in another whole set of concerns and systems that I think moved the whole debate in a different direction than it would have gone in. But the third option. Yes. Okay. The third option is um, that... Um, um, you could just sort of have this relativistic position of just live and let live. Okay, you're an 18-year-old. You go do your thing. We're going to go do our thing. There's no big problem here. All right? That's a way that you can go with an opposition is you can just say, well, it exist in the world, so here's another opposition, big deal. So give in? It would require, I mean, that particular option would mean that uh, the family would give in and say, okay, you know, we, we, we won't do that. Uh, we're not going to do anything about that. All right. Everybody, you know, all of you kids, go wherever you want on vacation. It's like it creates chaos uh, often, but a relativistic point of view. Um, then there's another point of view, which is to figure out who's got the right answer. And like go after the truth, assuming that there's a truth on one side or the other. And the family is right because they're a family and because, and of course, everybody would agree, et cetera. And so everybody lines up with the family except the 18-year-old or right, the 18-year-old's right. right. Because, what? of course, because, well, the 18-year-old's right because, of course, it's time for her to be able to express her autonomy. And why on earth would she have to honor her family when she's now an adult? Exactly. So there could be a big argument about who's right. And this is what Linehan then called and other people have called it a universalistic way of thinking. Yeah, universalistic way of thinking is to decide which is the right one and come down on that side. A relativistic way of thinking is to say, eh, nobody really has the right answer. Do whatever the hell you want. Uh, and then there's the extreme positions. And then there's the forever stalemate. And then there's a dialectical approach. So none of those are specifically moving in a dialectical direction. So a dialectical direction would, would be saying, 
look, look, let's look at the essence of what's important to the 18 year old that's not getting acknowledged or addressed by the family going on vacation and taking her. And let's look at the uh, wisdom and the validity of the family uh, wanting her to come, both because they're a family, that's really important, and they want to preserve that, and they want to preserve her safety because they're worried if she's left alone, there's going to be a problem. So so it gets set up like that. And so it's interesting what happened in this particular family because this was uh, not the first week this group had talked to me about this. What happened in this family after some dialogue, and of course, dialectical solutions almost always involve dialogue and sometimes a lot of dialogue and sometimes not so much. But, but even in the gun debate, there was constant discussion the last few weeks at the level of people who make decisions, like constant. People were running into each other at the Senate gym at 5.30 in the morning, like, yeah. you know, and having conversations like Tom Tillis from North Carolina yeah. is hanging out with, uh, with uh, Chris Murphy from Connecticut and they're talking. I mean, all day, all night, people are coming to this and, and often that's what's required. So the family was, have it, was encouraged to be having a dialogue. They were encouraged to be having the parents listen carefully to the 18-year-old. Having the 18-year-old try to listen carefully to the parents about what matters. And then they came up with a, uh, a synthesis so that she could stay home with certain conditions. And the conditions were that, uh, that she have a friend of hers who's a particularly safe and responsible person, but who's also a very good friend, come stay with her during that time, which actually she liked the idea of. And also that she have something to do, that there's some plan of stuff she's going to do, uh, some expectation, and also that she, every once in a while, but not too much, just inform the parents what's going on so they know she's alive and they know that she, like, not in deep shit. I mean, and so there was, this was an arrangement, and I don't know how it'll go, because now that becomes a new thesis. That's the synthesis, and it puts together what matters to the family. They gave up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she gave up a little bit. Now she has someone else living with her. Now she has a couple expectations. The family gave up wanting her to be there with them. Um, and so they each gave up some, but they each acknowledged something that was a very high priority of the other party. And then they move on and they form this arrangement. And that becomes what in dialectics would be called the synthesis, which, as I was saying before, immediately gives rise to another antithesis or more. Right. So how would you distinguish that from a compromise? Because I know that a synthesis is not a compromise. So how is that different than a compromise in that you know, case or in general? I think the, 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 the thing that makes it compromises is when the person, the people actually involved or the person involved, depending what it is, uh, experiences the arrangement as a complete watering down of what's important to them. It's a dilution. They got away from what's important to them. And so um, they sacrificed something, but then they sacrificed too much. And then neither party, I mean, both parties end up with a dilute uh, approximation of what actually matters to them. And that would be a compromise. And how would you know if it's a compromise? I don't think you can know this, Nicole, from the outside. Mm. I think you'd only know this if you are the 18-year-old and you'd say, yes, this matters to me. This is a good arrangement. And the family feels like, okay, we can go with this. We feel a little bit safer with this. And we realize she's 18 years old and she needs to do this. So it, it, it kind of depends on what it feels like inside the 
the arrangement, whether it's a watered-down compromise just for the sake of compromise, or whether it's actually a synthesis which preserves what are very high priorities or values of each party. Got it. So, like, whereas in a compromise, both people end up feeling like they've lost. In a synthesis, there's an opportunity, maybe not for a total win-win, but an opportunity for both parties to feel honored in some way, to feel like what they care about has been recognized and that that's moving forward into the synthesis in a way that's, that's meaningful. So they're not, so they're validated. They're validated. They feel validated. And just right. like when we talk about validation, the only way you know if somebody's validated is if they actually experienced it as validation, right. no matter right. what the other person thinks they did. Right. So I, th I think this is a this is a really important distinction that you're asking about because I think that people do talk about, well, it's not a compromise. I mean, if you go to any training in DBT and if people spend yeah. five minutes on dialectics, they'll say it's not a compromise. But what does that really mean? I mean, yeah. your, your question gets at it. It really means something that's more subjective than you can't just say, well, this is this sounds like a compromise. But it actually didn't feel like a compromise to the parties involved. So who gives a damn what it sounds like? It's, right. It sort of actually worked because both people feel, felt like, okay, what's most important that we gave up something because we recognize the other party needs something important. Um, but we also hung on to something that's very important to us. And you kind of have to prioritize what's most important to you in, the process, in a dialectical process. Mm -hmm. So that I think this happened about... The, uh, the gun debate uh, is that there were uh, each side, you might say, gave in to or gave up something that they were holding before. Like the Republican side uh, gave up on what are called red flag laws, and, and they gave up on what's called the boyfriend loophole without going yeah. into all of these right now. And they, and they gave up uh, on just any fact that somebody under 21 years old is going to have a little bit more of a background check about their about their ability to handle guns where whereas the democrats gave up a lot i mean yeah. and so you can't add up does is well, it's it not a, a tit for tat it's not a tit for tat. it's not, it's tit not for tat. something where you can value say well oh i did i gave up all of this i because both people are coming in with different expectations of what the truth should look like that's right. Sides. So some, so I would think that the Democrats might feel more like, well, we did, gave up background checks, we gave up banning assault rifles, we gave up this, we gave up that. And, and also, it doesn't get mentioned anywhere in this agreement that, um, that it's simply it's a relatively well-established fact, though one could argue it, that uh, having a ton more guns available is going to lead to a ton more killings. Uh, that's just seems to be a fact in the world if you look at countries that have more or less guns. But, uh, but that, that's off the table entirely. The emphasis is on mental right. health and school safety and stuff like that that the Republicans are, are okay with. But I think that, it, you know, it's, it's a compromise in one respect, but it's a synthesis given how locked down the whole argument has been for so long. It's a breakthrough because of that, even if it's... Uh, kind of narrow in its scope, it still is going to affect some people. And maybe even more importantly, it broke this stalemate. Um, yes. So I think it's well, I think a significant. That's important. Yeah, well, because I think if we think about if we if we think about the other alternatives that you delineated, 
in many cases, we look at dialectics in stuck situations where it can get very zero sum. So, you know, both sides would like to have everything. We always want everything that we want. But typically, it's like, well, I either give up nothing, and so I get nothing, you get nothing, and we both stay pissed off. Mm -hmm. Or or there is some movement. So it's easy to say, okay, well, I didn't get everything that I wanted, so it was, you know, I lost. Right. If, if you right. come at it through the lens of that zero sum, well, this was my list, and I only got this. Right. Right. But if you come at it through the lens of, all right, the, the objective is to move forward, to get out of the stuck space, then, yeah, then there's progress. Then, because then it allows other elements to kind of inject themselves into the system. Other, other things can move. Other things can open up. Other th and exactly. Then, exactly. And then change so, can occur. So you have to sort of settle for a meaningful step there. But it's not just a watered-down compromise. It's actually... And from, from a democratic point of view, the fact that after this many years, decades really, that the Republicans made a decision that is disapproved of by the NRA uh, is a very significant situation. I mean, that's just totally unexpected that these people who've been relying on the NRA to fund their campaigns for a long time found that there were other factors that weighed even more heavily yeah. on them, such as worrying about what suburban voters in the November elections are going to do and in the next presidential election yep. that they keep alienating suburban voters who care about gun safety. So yeah. it's a lot, a lot of things were in motion. So let me return to this scheme. So we remember, so we've got like in every situation and this is, I've just been running into it everywhere I go this week mm -hmm. and last week is like, okay, there's a thesis, there's an opposing force. Now there you stand with two opposing forces. Now what do you do? There's various things you can do and, and sort of one tr pathway is a dialectical pathway and it's moving towards a synthesis. All right. Now, the next thing I want to say about that is that, does, that, that, that there are certain conditions that facilitate dialectical processes. Some of those conditions are, are contextual uh, and how you see the universe. And some of them are psychological. Um, like even in the gun control debate, the fact that the people who were at the center of hammering this out have temperaments yes. that are more moderate than some of the extremists on both sides allowed it to move forward because they, and they agreed to drop some hot button issues on both yes. sides and they had calmer temperaments and they kept dialogue going. So, so that helps with dialectics is, is trying to stay out of the hot judgmental rhetoric helps and try to still capture what's important, which is a challenge itself. Another thing that matters is if you're capable of thinking in a complex manner, so that you can be flexible. You can sort of divorce. You can take a position of your own strongly, but you can temporarily divorce yourself from your own position and look from above and say, wait a minute, I'm in a dialectical thing. I guess the other side matters too. And and so let me see if I can understand the other side more deeply uh, so and see if it moves me. Um, so it's had, it, that capacity to be abstract and step one step above and see the world as a complex and competing marketplace of ideas and, and po projects 
is very helpful. If you don't have that, you tend to get stuck in over oversimplified, uh, narrowly defined and rigid positions. Um, so that helps. It also helps to realize that uh, as part of the concept of dialectics, that you understand the universe to be made up of a massive number of ingredients that are constantly changing. I mean, every second changing, not like once in every 30 years. No, everything is actual, whether it looks like it or always, not. Always, always. It's always changing. So, this, so when something comes up that's a surprise, it actually, if only you were watching carefully or if you had <laughs> access to the data, you know, if a, be shocked. if a building falls down mm -hmm. and it's like, how the hell did that happen? If we knew the infrastructure of the building every minute, we, we'd say, of course it happened. So yeah. there's this, this idea that everything's changing constantly. And of course, if things are changing constantly, it's like a, the universe is a soup of ingredients. And as <laughs> things change, collisions are happening all the time, like in the yeah. ocean, you know, waves are, it's just actually, that's the nature of reality. And the other assumption about the nature of reality is what you were saying at the beginning about where you're at in this uh, in the workshops that you're in right now mm -hmm. about the um, systemic nature of reality, that everything, everything, everything is interdependent with the next thing over and the next thing over and the next thing over. So actually, you know, the way to change things is sometimes not to intervene in what you think you're changing, but you got to intervene in something three steps away. And that may be the best way to change. But it had to have your mind open to that the change is constant interdependency of systemic elements is always going on and then there is this process of thesis antithesis synthesis thesis antithesis synthesis to me that is the that's a sort of a, an attempt to define the package of, and this might be redundant a little bit with what you said but i mean i think just holding the view that truth evolves really helps with that idea of flexibility. I think if you're someone that believes there is a truth or the truth, you know, capital T, then it's much more difficult to get into, um, get into a dialectical mm. kind of dialogue because if, you're, if you believe that you're giving up what is right mm. in order for something that, you know, that is wrong, if, if you see those, if the world through that binary lens, mm. then, it's, then it is really, really challenging to enter into any of these other frameworks or lenses. But if you, if you have the view that there are multiple coexisting, sometimes contradictory truths, always in operation, that then it's like, okay, truth and truth is always evolving. Then it's like, all right, where, where in the river am I stepping, you know, my, or am I dipping my toe today? And you know, it may be, it may look like the same river, but, you know, it's never, ever the same. And, and you're not so, you know, your, your view isn't so um, attached to yeah. it being right or wrong. There's, there's space for things to, to flow a bit. Mm. You know, uh, and, and I think what you're bringing up is something that sometimes doesn't immediately come to mind when people first are learning about dialectics. So because I, well, there's an, there's one of the better writings that I've come across about dialectics in treatment in DBT and what, what's the philosophy of it as it enters into treatment there is, is in a book that came out a year or two ago. Uh, it's a, a chapter by Jennifer Sayers and Marshall Linehan. It's on dialectics in DBT. And uh, there's one sentence there 
that struck me because I hadn't really thought of it that way, and it's very close to what you were just saying. And it's that, um, yes, we dialectics is understood to be a model in which truth is always evolving, and the current truth is not the same as the truth tomorrow, and the truth here isn't the same as the truth there. And that's a hard, that's why you have to have a complex view of things in order to grasp that, because it's a lot simpler to just decide what the truth is and do it. Um, but what they said was, what, and I, I think, I don't know who wrote this, but probably Jennifer, but maybe Marcia, wrote um, that uh, at any given moment, in any given context, there is a truth. That well, there is such a thing. So interesting, and I think both exist. I and mean, this is very Buddhist, but there's that, but there's you could say that absolute truth and relative truth always coexist. So, so there's What's a, that mean? there's a kind of that absolute, the kind of the big global truth of the way things are. If 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 we if any individual were a, none of us, we all live in our subjective realities. But then there's also the kind of compilation of all that data that none of us are ever privy to because we all come from mm. conditioning, right? We're all coming from our own perspective. So, so it's impossible for any person to ever really see the whole picture, but there is a whole picture mm. just because no one individual can ever really, you know, grasp onto it doesn't mean there is no such thing as truth. Mm. It's just that like these two things are always, they're always coexisting. So there's, there's this kind of global truth of what, is real mm. and then there are all of our individual perceptions that you know that are intersecting that vary that that are informed by and shaped by um by causes and conditions and, mm -hmm. and subjective mm -hmm. reality so mm -hmm. and i think that's a really interesting space to hold all the time to say all right well we all always have blind spots but that doesn't mean that everything's relative and we just throw it all away and say nothing's meaningful you know, mm -hmm. that there is no such thing as reality. Mm -hmm. It's both. Mm -hmm. It's always that and. And I think that's a dialectic in and of itself. Yeah, saying this makes me think of another case um, of a couple where I've supervised the therapist for a long time with the same couple, an intensely conflicted couple. It's amazing they're still together. And uh, it's probably by his efforts that they're still actually working on their relationship and it's improved some. But oh my God, do they stand off. So just last week, they had a situation in which uh, they, they have a chronic conflict about her feeling underappreciated and feeling not, not empathized with by her husband because he's so obsessed with finances and, and security. And, and, so, and he's always feeling underappreciated for how hard he's working on the finances and everything. And so this just goes on. And then last week, what happened was she lost her job. And so in losing her job, she comes home to her husband and says, oh my God, I lost my job. And she was very sad about it. And he's immediately like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? do about the finances? <laughs> what are we going to do about the finances? Yeah. And she said, I can see where you're going already. All you give a damn about is the finances. You don't care about you have a wife right here that just lost her job. That's in need of somebody who has a little bit of empathy. Do you not have any empathy for me? And he's like, do you not realize what this means for the finances of the family? And they just could not, yeah. could not. I mean, it was sort of like classic thing. And yeah. And so oh. her therapist, their therapist, who's actually very good at what he does, yeah. um, he's like working with each of them to, to just 
not to find an exact synthesis. It was like move towards a synthesis, yeah. but move towards it how? By having him put on the shelf for 10 minutes his financial concerns and just let his mind go into his wife's mind and 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 see what it's like and think about that and talk with her about that as if the, and then have her go in and do a similar yeah. thing of what where he lives and how he takes responsibility for the security of the family and how and then how they each have to give up a little bit of time in order to get into the other one's foxhole and that that out of that not knowing how it'll work but that's a really a dialectical way of working with a couple um, and it's a standard way to work with a couple. I mean, I think about that's that's a lot what really good couples there. It's what Johnny Depp and, and Amber Heard never had, as far as I can tell. Oh. You know, it's like uh, it's just a, a complete dialectical breakdown shit show. I, um, I can't. That, 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 that's a whole other episode. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's no, I mean, that's a whole other episode. Um, yes. But no, I mean, I think that it's, I think what you're saying is so right. I think that it's because when you are looking at the world through, through the lens of care means taking care of the finances, care means safety and security. That's, right, right. that's what care means. That's how I love you. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's how I love you. That's how I take care of us. Like that's it. Then, then, you know, then it's like, it's an affront to hear, you know, can't you think about anything else? Because it's like, what are you talking about? That's all I think about. Right. And and at the same time, when care means being empathized with, I mean, and it's not that either is more or less real, valid, or true, but it's exactly what you're saying, to be able to step away from your attachment to like, my way is the way. Exactly. If you only knew how bad it feels to be in my space. Right. And I think that that really does require this trust, this, this, you know, again, this willingness to say, ah, yeah, we don't know how it's going to work. And, you know, we can see that there's a possibility that there's more than what I can see. And if we, but if you don't know that there's more than what you can see, if, if you're so, and usually I think what happens is with fear or pain in general, the more distressed we are, the harder it is to access that capacity to step outside of ourselves. You know, no, and, it's like and our also, amygdala's firing, our Olympic systems are going crazy, and we're just caught up in that space of like, you know, we're it's it's survival mode. So it's like it, I think it's that's part of that feedback loop that's so hard to break out of because that access to the space that allows us to actually, oh, be a little creative and think with some complexity, that gets short-circuited. It's gone. And, and, and it's especially, I mean, what you hope happens, I mean, what, what if it's a lucky break, one person's going through hell and the other one's not. I mean, and, and so one person can sort of be the generous one for a while and sort of let go of their attachment, as you put it, and listen to the other one. But when both people are equally frightened or equally thrown into turmoil, there's not much left for a while. And sometimes the best solution there is to just acknowledge the reality of that and, and don't try to solve it right now. Just cut off. Just Until go to it's a whole society. What do you mean? Until it's all society. dysregulated. Until right. it's a whole country that's right, screaming right, right, right. and yelling and dysregulated. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and who is pushing the pause button? Yes. All right. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sing you my dialectical song. Okay. Okay. 
I'm going to pay very good. Got to see how to do this because you know now I'm because of my <laughs> because of my guitar teacher talking to me about sound. I'm supposed to keep my mouth next to the microphone, like only like two inches away, mm-hmm. and that which means you can't like move around very much. You have to stay with the microphone. He said yeah. you just can't. He said if you watch really professional podcasters, even even when they move around, look at the interface between their mouth. And the microphone, it stays the same, and they and they learn over time what that is. Aye, I think aye, aye. this is way above my level, but I've got to try. <laughs> so, um, so here I've got this song written out because it's okay. brand it's brand new. I mean, you're you're in such good situation here because no one has ever heard this song. I I've never felt luckier than I do right now. <laughs> never. Now, how can I do this? Keep myself next to the microphone and of course there's the guitar sound which might not be loud enough i'm going to just do the best i can here all right imagine me and you i do i think about you all the time you're on my mind we started out so close how did we come to be unhappy together I disappointed you, I know. I didn't give you what you asked from me to grow. And then you disappointed me. You hurt me so unhappy together. I can't see me loving nobody but you. You're in my dreams. What's come down between us has pushed us apart to extremes me and you and you and me are opposite apparently it had to be it gives us fits but if we but if we can connect perhaps we'll be happy together turn the page (laughs) i'll try to understand what i have missed and meet you there it's been so long since we have kissed it isn't fair i couldn't can't we loosen up a bit and meet in the middle we gotta solve the riddle i can't see me loving nobody but you for all my life dialectically we can move down the road to end our strife me and you and you and me can find the middle path where we can be i am the one for you and you're the one for me so happy together how is the weather There you are. <laughs> I was dying to know how you were going to get the word dialectically in there. That oh, was I know. great. That was hard. It that was, was a lot. Really there was a lot of work on getting that word in there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that was smooth. <laughs> yes, there you go. Wow. It's that was good. awesome. It's good to have just an audience of one. See, this is when <laughs> it's good to not have a solo podcast. Because I would... <laughs> As you may know from my podcast, I've done a lot of these songs I've made up and I never hear anything, you know. I can't, you know, there's nothing worse. You need the applause. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm happy to be of service. Nicole, do you sing? I don't. I, you know what? I used to and I took a lot of singing. A lot of, I had a lot of singing instruction um, in my acting training, but I am a bad singer. 
It's just the truth. Yeah, well, I think I've made, I think I've proven that that doesn't mean you can't <laughs> sing on a podcast. Maybe this is I'm not, a... not as, con- you know what? Maybe we'll do a duet someday. I am not so confident to be, um, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm still thinking that it should be different than it is. I'm still fighting my reality with my singing voice. All right. All right. But this once is... upon a time I did sing, but you know what? You know what? It's an experimental space. I'm open to eventually, you know, and this might might happen. <laughs> you came to a training once with myself and Kelly Kerner. Yes. yes. And uh, there was one time, and it, not at that training, but a previous training that Kelly and I were doing, and I and I did one of my DBT songs. And then I asked her if she sang, and she said, "Well, she doesn't really sing, but she used to sing." I said, "What do you mean you used to sing?" Well, when she was younger, like in her early 20s, she used to sing at weddings. She oh, wow. actually sang, quote, professionally. And, and oh, so gosh. she sang. So then she and I sang a duet. I forget what it that was. That must have been awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was awesome, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think she's probably a, quite a bit better than I am. But I, you know what? I can speak with a bit of a rhythm. If that oh, happens. all right. So you can rap. I don't know about that, but, you know... <laughs> That's all that is. It's rapping um, is speaking right, with the rhythm. Okay, okay. Well, right. I know that I don't know that I would have claimed it, but again, I'm open <laughs> to giving it all a try. All right, all right. So what do we got? We have a little bit of time left. Yeah. I just wonder, now I've kind of laid out uh, one version, not complete and not deep, but I think some of the essential ingredients I'd like us to have on the table going forward when we talk about dialectics is I think it captures some of the basics. I'd like to ask a question. This is something I've thought about quite a bit with dialectic. So, you know, you've, you've really described, and this is how I've read and understood dialectic, is when there's two kind of opposing sides. But so often in these complex problems that we, we look at and talk about um, socially, there, there are more than two sides. There are, there are many sides. And so what is the, you know, what is the way to approach or think about those tensions, those oppositions, when maybe it's just not as simple as, you know, one polarity. Yeah, I've thought about that too. Um, let me use as a metaphor, I mean, the way, the way I come at that is that there is, this is a fairly uh, simp- simp- simplistic uh, formula to say that here's how reality works. There's thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and there's always two opposing sides. There's obviously sometimes, many times, more than two and sometimes way more than two opposing sides. So one of the principles of dialectics, at least within uh, treatment, is uh, that dialectics has this idea of inclusivity, of, of, of there's uh, several different people looking at an elephant from different angles and they all right. see something different, right? That metaphor. Yeah. And so that's a dialectical metaphor. I mean, mm-hmm. six different people are seeing six different things when it's the same animal. And right. then they start exchanging with each other and they could fight about, you know, whether the, whether the animal has a trunk or just a tail, for instance, depending where you're standing. And so, you, so there's a lot of possible sides. Another metaphor that I think of in relation to this is that I kind of think that if you think of the world, the whole universe, as the ocean, Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of movement always going on. If you're ever at the ocean and you're just looking out, even if it's a calm night, mm-hmm. water's always moving. Mm-hmm. Water is always moving. And so 
there's there might be white caps coming up. There might just be a little sort of ripples going on, yeah. but there's always this stuff going on. And so whenever there's kind of a collision between vectors coming, like if one's coming from the south and one's coming from the north, and then they go up into a wave like this, you'd say, oh, it's obvious. There's there's a dialectical dilemma, is that there's two opposing forces and they're causing a conflict. But what if five different waves are coming in the same place? You don't want to exclude that. It just makes right. it more complicated. So I just think this idea of dialectics and talking about a thesis, antithesis, and an op opposition between two things is actually just a simplified way mm -hmm. because it's very complicated to say what's really true which right. is that at this moment, the number of things impacting on my brain as I speak is just outrageous. I mean, yeah. my grandfather, uh, who was a farmer and who later in his life gave speeches to farmers in the Pacific Northwest about eco economics of farming, which I didn't know until I was already a teacher. My father, who was a soloist in the choir, and I grew up watching him be up there singing Oh Holy Night at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, Marshall Linehan, uh, my office here, the fact that my son is going to pick me up in a little while and we're going on a little road trip, the fact that I'm talking to you and you're sick and you're in Germany, <laughs> I mean, and, and the fact that the, the, our, the whole landscape of our political system and, um, yeah. and legal system is rapidly shifting. I mean, just, and that just just touches it. So there's so many things going on. I wouldn't want to exclude any of them. And, and what I'm doing right now is a product of all of them, including just the nature of my temperament and my brain and stuff, right? So, right. so well, that's, I mean, so in that way, it's almost like the, the, the dialectical, it's like an evolution or an emergence. It's the, the process of bringing together these opposing forces. It's mm. the way, it's like, if we look at the elephant metaphor, it's, you know, it's no, it's, you know, it's the, it's the, whatever, the smooth trunk. No, it's the, it's the hard foot. No, it's the, you know, crunchy skin, you know, all of those are true. And it's, it's in this dialogue between all six people or 6 billion people or whatever it is. It's the, it's actually that, like you were saying, that whole marketplace of ideas, it's not, and we, I think we spent, we touched on this last week, but it's not actually about arriving to a place ever. It is about this journey of, you know, exploration of moving from one state, one place, mm. um, one, one kind of stuckness into another new kind of tension. And I think that's a really helpful, just a, a really helpful lens shift because we, we do get so kind of caught up in problem solution and thinking, you know, we're here, we should be here. And that's that really that left hemisphere orientation to the world. But if we mm. think about this more as this kind of multi-sensory journey mm. where we're experiencing and, you know, that kind of, and, and thinking through metaphor and just that creative exploration, experimentation, where, mm. you know, there's, there's new information coming in all of the time and mm. it's, any of it is potentially really valuable, even revelatory then it's it's just a different way to think about, you know, we're not necessarily problem solving to get to a destination. We're just expanding possibilities mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. shedding old skin. So I just think it's an, it's just an interesting shift for us. And I to like make. that way of putting it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I understood everything you said, though. You almost lost me when you talked about this element having a crunchy skin. I just, 
But don't they have crunchy skin? I just hadn't. I don't know. I've never gotten that close to it. I'm not sure I would get that close to an elephant, but I I didn't know it was crunchy. But I but but that sort of misses the point. (laughs) Misses the point. You know, now I'm wondering. I have a lot of elephant pictures that I've taken over the years. But I think that, yeah, the emphasis on uh, another emphasis in dialectics is not on getting to the right outcome or getting to the perfect synthesis or anything like that. It's more in the process. It's in the process of holding different ingredients that are opposing or different views of the elephant from different angles or different you know, views of whether the kids should go on vacation with the family. It's holding those things for a while, allowing a little time allowing a little space, allowing a little creative thought, and allowing yourself to go deeply into each place, and then come out with, hey, what about this? And what about this is a great comment, no matter what it is, almost. Like, what about this is curiosity, it fosters creativity. And it, and that's a dialectical intervention, what about this? I mean, it's not listed as one of Linehan's dialectical <laughs> strategies, but it's kind of, actually, it kind of is, because one of her strategies is called um, dialectical assessment, which right. by which you just mean what is left out, what's left out of this situation. Um, right. Well, I think that's just an interesting way for us to even think about or talk about, you know, these larger social issues. It's like, well, what, it would look, what would it look like if rather than, thinking about is getting to like, you know, a different place, not just us thinking about it this way, but, you know, um, more collectively, like, what would it look like if we were operating dialectically, you know, Mm. having to make decisions and create institutions that really, that really had a dialectical view, like Mm. functionally, how would that work? And and would that work for us? you know, what would we have to give up and, and, you know, in terms of efficiency, in terms of clarity and um, and then what would we gain? I just think it's an interesting exploration. You know, I think in our conversations, um, my my thinking has been so uh, driven by uh, clinical situations and personal mm-hmm. situations um, and not necessary, and, and I have a sort of a lightweight, uh, so far developed application to social and cultural issues. Mm-hmm. But I know you've been thinking about those things more, and uh, and from different angles. So, I I think it'll be great to have just have you lead us lead the way into defining one of these. I mean, we're talking about this gun debate right now, yeah. but there are so many things that you could begin to approach with some of these principles. And, and then I, I, I'm not sure, I don't feel I have much expertise in uh, those things, though it's, I think it's possible to bring the same principles well, Absolutely. To bear. And I think that, you know, one of the things this whole week was about, you know, looking at complex social systems, but it came down to the individuals that are a part of these systems and really the, the kind of human mechanisms, whether it be of belonging, isolation, fear, anxiety, all of the... the I think the arena is where, where you are expert. And so, you know, for me, and when we look at complex adaptive systems, there really isn't a, a clean separation between what is what is the realm of the individual and the realm of the larger system. And I think mm-hmm. that by, by making that separation, we sometimes do ourselves a disservice. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to kind of bring in this, this individual, you know, 
kind of psychological lens into these larger social systems and rather than okay. thinking of them as something other thinking of them as really like okay these are human beings you know that are that that have complicated home lives and and all of these same places like because because I think it's that gap that actually creates some of these I don't know these 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 tensions these these chasms for us um in society at large, I mean, whether it's on social media or anywhere else, is that we f we lose our humanity as as we get to the institutional level. Oh, I, I see. I wondered. I, I, I know what you mean. I, I wasn't sure what you meant by the, the gap, but I, I think I know what you yeah. mean now, is that once you start thinking about these bigger issues, you can lose your grip on what you know about personally, like right. what these things feel like to people. And so, yeah. Right. All right. So people just like us, like in these, you know, it's, and, and it's just a, you know, it's just a collection of a lot of people, just people always. All right. So, so I'm going to decide just, uh, I'm just going to declare that you and I are capable of having these conversations oh, yeah. and, uh, and just, just as much as people on sports podcasts are capable of talking about the NBA, you know, and acting as if they know something, you know, <laughs> I and I hope this I will be a place to start. I think All it right. will. No, I think it will. Okay, awesome. So, so let's see, let's stop. It's great to see you. I'm going to stop recording. Have a fun right. road trip. Oh, thank you. Thank you.